0: Out here in the perimeter, there are no stars. Out here, we is stoned, immaculate. Hello and welcome. This is the C86 Show. I'm David Eastall. As you know, we love a special guest. This week, it's going to be the turn of the incredible string band. I know, not even 80s indie pop. This is uh, 60s sort of psychedelic folk, really, because I very recently spoke to one of the members... Rose Simpson to talk about life, love, poetry, and everything else because she's just got a book that's come out called Moo's Odorless Handmaiden, subtitle A Girl's Life in the Incredible String Band. This has just come out on Strange Attractor Press, available from all good bookshops probably online too. Anyway, it's a fantastic read. Amazing pictures. Um, This is the interview which goes on for ages, so um, do enjoy it. And uh, we talk about everything, so I'm not going to bore you. But anyway, incredible string band. It's one of those uh, combos I've always wanted to uh, feature on the show for various reasons, and um, at last I've done it, so I feel so chuffed. So we talk about everything, music, the 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 life of a band, which is very similar to any band, really, and um, the ups, the downs, and sideways moves. Plus, also Woodstock. I do think Rose is the first person I've spoke to who played at Woodstock. I might be wrong. Anyway, Rose, after several minutes of casual conversation about this and that, including David Bowie, obviously, because he mentions the incredible string band in one of his top albums of all time, we got down to the reason of why the book and now. Anyway, Rose, it's over to you. And anyway enjoy
1: the moment was when uh i okay it, it, it i sort of I, I noticed or i was told whatever that um other people are starting to write about this and i don't mind people mentioning me in passing i mean i left it behind but i walked out on it and so sort of cut myself off from it um But if people are going to sort of start writing more and more about it, and it became obvious that they are about that period, you know, and about hippie times and, and the hippie girls and all the rest of it. And I wasn't willing to let myself be written off like that, you know, not written off, but written in a way that wasn't the life I lived, and I just wanted to write the life I lived as I lived it, in a way, not 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 um, not analyze it or define it, but just say this is what it felt like to live that life. You know, you all can see the pictures, you all can hear the music. This is what it was like for me then to live it. You know, it was just it was that thing about. Uh, it sounds terribly serious and also pompous and all the rest of it. And I don't mean it like that. But this thing about bearing witness you know this is what it was like to live it it was really fun i really glad i did it everything was um it was a time i wouldn't have been without for the world but it is not like the pictures you know it is not <laughs> like the photographs the photographs are one aspect of it there's a whole other sort of stuff that goes on some of it good some of it bad but yeah it's to do with its to do with the fact that know at my age you are coming towards the end of a life and in a sense you're pulling a life together and it was for me as well as for everyone else but i just wanted it to be i wanted to leave my life in in some sort of realistic form you know yes what is interesting
0: because um i did notice um you know that the narrative who controls the narrative and i've sort of been doing interviews with a lot of bands and mostly i have to say these off from the 80s sometimes other decades as well earlier um and it's interesting that some people feel that they want to have their voice not just as a sort of way of you know scoring points or uh, they kind of hear one person telling the story and and everyone yeah. go oh that's marvelous and that's how it was and someone's going actually that was slightly different for me over here that wasn't quite how I remember it and it's not about saying you were wrong it's more like well this is kind of my emotional you know experience and these are some of the other things that possibly that person didn't mention for various reasons sometimes you know they forgot it or they they thought oh actually that's that's something that I'm I'm just gonna fast Well, they didn't know
1: they just didn't know and I think the thing I've noticed most of all with String Band, thinking, trying to relive it then, is how little we talked. We just didn't talk. And so, um, how would anyone know? Because we never met met in the morning or, so, or the next day or the weekend and said, oh, and I did this and I did that and I did the other. And yes, yeah, so this was really interesting. We just didn't do that. We just met. And it was this idea of trying to live in the moment, you know, and so this is what's important not what i did yesterday or who i spoke to last night or whatever it's now you know and and we really in lots of ways did actually succeed quite well in doing that but it did mean that no one knew what what was going on half the time
0: yes well i think that's the story of most bands everyone i speak to often realize that um yes issues to do with a lot to do with kind of ownership of music really and and management dynamics and who who sort of gets credited for certain songs and who doesn't get credited and their contribution to stuff which was always Oh, well, that wasn't my problem that wasn't your problem was it i know but there was, <laughs> they, were, they, were, they were kind of i think these are the other issues that happen when you're in a band yourself yeah i mean well i mean it's interesting because you were sort of so much part of that kind of period of music you know of life and and change that happened in the 60s i mean what was your, I mean, what's i always curious is, what was your sort of family life like? What were your parents like in your sort of, the kind of the teen years before you, you were in the band?
1: Well, that's partly of what I'm saying in the memoir, really, that you, you don't turn up in some situation like that, which is so unusual, without there being something that makes you, in a way, the person who can do it, you know. And that isn't necessarily to do with talent or skill or anything like that. It's just to do with, you can fit into a certain way of life, you know, because the string band was as much a way of life as a a way of music, you know? Yes. And my parents and my family, they're pretty dysfunctional. They're very much of the time, but more so possibly. um, Absolutely, completely the opposite of everything that I suddenly walked into at that day I met string band
0: yeah which is obviously i mean because now it wouldn't feel that amazing but back then it must have you must i mean i suppose at the time it's just what was happening but looking back did you do you think my god that was quite pioneering or that was quite an adventurous I, i was a quite an adventurous person um you know
1: never defined myself as such and in some ways i still don't it's just that i'm quite willing to pick something up and run with it yes um, and it's not necessarily the most conventional
0: thing <laughs> i know but um you know because doing this, the 60s is always fascinating isn't it and i know philip larkin has that poem it starts in 63 with the first beatles album and lady chucky's lover and something like that because often you know the 60s is you know it doesn't completely always fit the decade exactly it's like sometimes it almost goes into the 70s a bit for the narrative and and you know the early period there'd been the sort of the beat generation in the fifties. And then there'd been, you know, as the sixties progressed, there would be in the kind of the world that was the, there's the gathering of the tribes in 67 in San Francisco. And then in, in in sort of, I think it was June time at the Ali Pali, there was the 14 hour Technicolor Dream. And that's kind of the great year where, you know, people have called it the summer of love. Did you, were you feeling particularly kind of on a zeitgeist kind of
1: no. um, moment? i think i think you see i i think it goes for me personally it goes back and it goes back to the influence of of the of the 20s really post first world war and and i'm sort of thinking about that a lot at the moment really That to me you think about it that the teachers that taught me in school were from that post first world war generation it's almost like the wars have defined the the way they looked on the world you know so all the things they were rejecting after the first world war you know violence uh what they call in germany the reform movement back to nature uh nudity vegetarian all that stuff circle dancing all that stuff was around in the 20s and i think people i met who were um slightly older than my parents but who were that post first world war generation were bringing those ideals before me through literature through art through all sorts of things and somehow i latched onto those and the fact that they transferred absolutely seamlessly to a hippie life uh was just one of those things you know
0: yes that's quite interesting because i suppose there had been this big movement and i know it was even in, in germany pre kind of nazi period as well where absolutely there was a lot, was a lot of movement of getting back to nature and yes. arcadia i think that's what a lot of people refer to it don't they with this kind of yeah. i mean the industrial revolution of the 1800s and is it utilitarianism where you know it's yes. all about sort of education reform land reform, yes. you know a, a kind of a heavy heavy-handed sort of state and uh religious kind of i don't know across the cheek if you sort of yeah. to step out of line i suppose that was that was kind of quite a strong ethos so the first world war must have got reset a lot of those kind of values and wanting to get back to sort of simpler times and it's interesting the world the folk kind of traditions
1: isn't it because it's something well, it's that, that, that tradition is Cecil Sharp when he was going wandering around collecting the folk songs i mean that was in that that was part of that sort of reform movement as in 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 germany looking back to their original their culture and talking about the tribes i mean in germany it was very much a reference back to the tribes you know not so much in england although i absolutely remember at school and it it's it is so archaic now sitting in a classroom and the teacher probably it must have been primary school because we were little because it was not serious you know that the teachers sort of standing in front of me say, well, you with the blonde hair, I expect you're Viking, and you with the dark hair, you're Pictish, and you there in the middle, you know, and that sort of defining people by racial, what they thought of as racial characteristics. And That's from that that period, you know?
0: Yes, absolutely. And, and
1: all that antisemitism was rife in Yorkshire. I mean, absolutely. Yeah, I always say, if Hitler had come along in Yorkshire, you know, they'd all have been there waving the banners, you know? <laughs> That sounds terrible now, <laughs> it's true. <laughs> I, I do tend to believe it, perhaps you shouldn't, perhaps shouldn't publicise that, shouldn't, that, shouldn't that. But, but I still feel it quite strongly, you yeah. know, that, that um, there was that, that feeling, that feeling of, um, I don't know, rejecting, that that stuff had been that we were being hard done by and that it was someone else's fault, you know, um, and that, that things should be better. Uh, and, 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 you know, anybody, well, I think it's sort of true now somehow, you know, charismatic leaders are a very dangerous thing when people feel unhappy, yeah. like
0: at the end But you, it's interesting you mentioned, you, it's interesting you mentioned, it's interesting you mentioned social sharp, I'll try and say that quickly. Um, And the folk tradition, because a lot of those, because we we have this idea of the folk tradition, don't we, and the the way it's been brought and the sort of then the village green and, you know, cricket or, you know, families galloping around and everyone being lovely. But it's a kind of an image that's been very manipulated, hasn't it, by politicians now. And it was probably an image that never actually existed in reality like all these kind of everyone, everyone in the community getting on going to lovely dancers, You know you yeah. had blacksmith you had the, the local that's it yeah isn't
1: uh, that what we wanted in the 60s but know, i was but, taught, but that yeah. was a, that
0: was a myth though wasn't it it was it never wasn't it was a myth.
1: that's why it's dangerous because it because it, you know myths are so manipulable you know you can tell people anything if you dress it up in a myth you know and it becomes very appealing and they don't look they don't look behind the story they they follow it and they they run i say run with it you know i mean i i was taught we were taught maple dancing i remember i loved it i really loved it doing all the interweaving the ribbons you know and and i think it's safe from that central sharp time yes. forward uh well, well, you I, with, pick- with,
0: well you get that with kaylee's and you get that with the, the the play football where these kind of rather lovely dancers and this beautiful music kind of flow together and there's a lot of interaction so there's that sense of community and people sort of all being part of the collective isn't it yeah and it feels very wholesome it feels very healthy and you know Absolutely so. but again Absolutely. It's, you know it's kind of interesting that you know decades later you know you had john major talking about sort of cricket games and you know yeah. on, on the grass and then yeah this, this kind of idea of us kind of waving lots of flags around to make it feel even yeah. more exciting. So it kind of so the folk tradition is is quite interesting because on one level it's probably radical, but then it's been, I think, slightly used by members of the right and the far right to sort of. Of
1: course, it links straight the, into nationalism. Yeah, I mean, it, it is the straightforward link to that nationalism, isn't it? And and you know, of course, our, our folk songs are better than your folk songs, and you know. Um, Uh, but also that sort of recognition of other tribes you know and and tribalism is also kind of dangerous thing you know
0: yes it's not it's never good actually when you start to fear strangers
1: but then no i
0: mean no i know that's that that that, that's always quite a shocking sort of thing so so that i mean the 60s has this kind of easy narrative for the sort of at an o level standard say you know 67 everything's good 68 it all starts going slightly bad and then you get Charles Manson, Altamont and, and it's all over sure. isn't it and, and then the death mm. of Jimi Hendrix, Jim Morrison and Janice Joplin so so that's the sort of that's the O level version of the 60s tied up in yeah. five seconds isn't it but you come along and you sort of have that that sort of chapter yourself and you come to represent this kind of homely innocence and sort of inquisitiveness yes. as well which must yeah you know, did you feel that at the time
1: yes absolutely it was it was true it wasn't a fake i mean um and and i think that was what what is remarkable about it is having having had the chance to live that i mean what an opportunity that, that most people never have they can just do it you know they can try and live utopia and um whether it works or not it's really great to try you know and and to work it and to work it out for yourself you know and that also, I mean about what it feels like you know i don't want to write a treatise about why it doesn't work or why it does work but this is what it feels like to do it you know
0: yes absolutely and because i mean it must have also felt like quite an adventure because not only were you playing around the uk and there were people i mean is this as I said, sort I of said right at the beginning when I was fumbling around for my David Bowie article, did people like David Bowie and people like Robert Plant come to your early gigs to see you?
1: I'm sure they did. Well, I think the Beatles came to that first one, in the well, the first one, first time I was on stage, uh, which was in the Royal Albert Hall. <laughs> <laughs> and, I think, and I believe the Beatles were there. They said the Beatles were there. I think they were, or some yes. of them or something. I mean... Yes, they did.
0: And did you and were you getting that sense of a movement happening in the sixties? Because I have I spoke to people like Barry Miles, who sort of I think he helped run you know International Times, and there was Hoppy Hopkins and all that kind of crowd in London in um, sort of various bookshops, and there was lots of performance artists doing performance art things, mostly quite naked as well, I think. Yeah, was part of the kind of the whole 60s group you yeah know? I mean did you feel that you were part of that kind of zeitgeist that you were part yes. of the movement that things were going to change
1: yes absolutely absolutely and and not but not with any for me personally not with any crusading intention it was just doing it you know it wasn't I wasn't trying to change people I was just saying well yes we can live like this Yes, that's not quite so true. I think probably of of certainly Robin, um, Mike. I don't know. Perhaps put somewhere in the middle. They'd have to speak for themselves. But I I absolutely had no intention of proselytising. I just thought, well, we can do this, and if you, if people see how great it is, they'll want to do it too.
0: Yes. Well, I th- I mean communities had only just as uh, in that form had only just really started in the sixties, hadn't they? You know we people thinking that shared you know living in shared spaces being able to share you know resources were all going to be a very good idea because i think it was in probably the 70s when everyone bought the John Seymour book on self sufficiency <laughs> yes. and uh, which which you know which always had that great diagram of several pages like if you had half an acre one acre or five acres you could do all these kind of things and um, <laughs> diagrams of how to um, slaughter pigs and make bricks which i always thought That's was very right. ambitious i'm never sure if anyone mm. ever did any of those things? Perhaps. Oh, definitely they
1: did. I know people. Absolutely, I know. I know you? people that did that. Yeah, awesome. I've got chickens on the back lawn
0: at the moment. Oh well, yes, chickens. Did you make bricks? though Did you ever make? Did you ever? Uh,
1: no, I never made bricks, but i done a lot of stuff with stone.
0: Oh, good. That's very nice. And an oh, I'm
1: very, I'm very hands-on.
0: <laughs> this is good. I know this is well. We need to be in this this time and this time of our lives. So is so. During that sort of early period of the band, because often bands have a sort of honeymoon phase, this is what I found. I found that sort of most bands have a five-year narrative, and this is a lot to do with the sort of bands I spoke to in the sort of 80s, where they they get together, they'd have 12 months, everything was going really well, and then they get a single, and John Peel would play it, which was great, and then a John Peel session, and the first album. Things by then are just really exciting and a bit more touring which is fantastically fun you know even getting to bed at four in the morning and unloading a van is, is exciting oh, but yeah. then it's the second and third albums that often start to finish people off and if anyone ever tours America that often is is another thing for British bands anyway so so by sort of 68 were, were you still in sort of the honeymoon phase of the of the Time. oh
1: absolutely because i was just i had only just really met them i don't just started going with going around with them in 68 so absolutely it was a honeymoon period and i think a lot of the sort of not honeymoon it's just sheer exhaustion you know you just get very very tired and because you're young and because it's also exciting you know it's all you're running on adrenaline but at some point i think this wears you out and you look for something different you know
0: yes and it was quite interesting because you did, because I, I remember a few years ago, there was an exhibition at the V&A called So You Want a Revolution. And I did. Actually, that was where I'd met Barry and also Joy, Joe Boyd as well, who appears yeah. a lot in, in the book because he obviously <laughs> produces your first kind of album. And He did Pink yeah. Floyd and then Nick, Nick Drake as well. And he was the one who said after that experience at the Ali Pali, when he sort of walked out in the morning, the sunrise he thought gosh we've won you know we, this is yeah, it definitely the future is ours and it's yeah. going to change now
1: yeah yeah well I, I thought that at Woodstock.
0: yes which was quite so looking I mean when you were doing the book you obviously sort of revisit you know people like you know the Joe Boyd kind of experiences and also you do meet Hoppy Hopkins as well who are kind of legendary characters I mean what's your how did you sort of Feel because obviously you came you were from yorkshire weren't you and and this was all quite a new world did it did you manage to find do you feel like you navigated those kind of experiences all right
1: yeah i mean they weren't legendary characters to me they were just people i met like love talking to you there's no difference for me seeing you on that screen and meeting joe boyd in london it's, it, it's just the same you know it's a name i didn't know just like i don't know your name particularly. Um, I. Then now I can look you up. I haven't actually. I've got to say I haven't done it, but I could have looked you up. You could have stalked me. <laughs> you know, I could have looked you up on Google and, and looked and chased references. I could have done that. But yeah. in those days, I couldn't have done that. And so this chap sitting in the corner there um, with an American accent was just another person. Well, why would why would it concern me? You know, it was only insofar as it impacted on my life that day or that night or tomorrow or whatever. That they made any difference to me, and that's—I mean, I, I wasn't—I wasn't in that world. I, that's the thing about coming from outside, coming from something entirely different, and not having any ambitions or inclinations, just absolutely falling into something. It's like, you know, like dropping off a planet. You know. Yes. And here I was.
0: Because the the incredible thing was with the band, and you probably must—you said—been exhausted. But you did have quite a punishing, you know, work ethic and, and schedule because you were sort of bringing out an album a year, which obviously is quite a lot of you know, amazing work, and also touring. And you you went you went to America, was it '68? You did one tour as well. So you, yes, it, it's the joy of youth,
1: really, wasn't it? And did you? It was absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> it didn't feel like a work ethic; it felt like a play ethic. <laughs> it really I mean, did. It's, I mean, with
0: your, you know, the because we mentioned that the, the Thousand Spirits or the Layer of the Onion did that was that one of the highlights of, of the band for you.
1: The highlight, I I think now it's a highlight of the band for me listening to it. Um, I think Hangman's Beautiful Daughter, I suppose, was a my experienced highlight, and that's the one I knew I was around when it was happening and all that stuff. Um, but definitely those uh those early lps were what uh i liked and still do like about the string band there's uh, five thousand spirits and hangman really
0: yeah and you'll i mean obviously because i know that i think it was last year somebody had spent about 10 years re record not re recording um but sort of cleaning up the sound of the the woodstock kind of soundtrack. yeah track i mean yeah so with the Woodstock gig, which was quite an extraordinary experience, I suppose at the time there had been Altamont, hadn't there? I think in '67. Altamont yeah. was after Woodstock, wasn't it? Oh no, it? not Altamont. I meant Monterey. My God, that was Monterey. Crazy. Yeah. Monterey had happened. Yeah. I think that was the summer of love as well, wasn't it? Yeah. Altamont yeah. was when you, you didn't want to go to no. that party, did you really? Yeah. Um So Woodstock happens and obviously it films beautifully what was your kind of memory of getting and going towards Woodstock at that, that time because obviously you had some amazing characters you probably didn't sort of you know obviously you couldn't look them up but you know they became these kind of mythical characters didn't they of um putting on this incredible festival with half a million people that sort of you know froze the freeways and then Joni Mitchell wrote an incredible song about it I just wondered what was the kind of, how you managed to get that particular gig?
1: Well, I have no idea how we got it. I'm sure Joe sorted it out or Antheos, but we never, it was not any special gig. It was just another gig, you know, on a, on a list of gigs. And we never thought any more of it than any other one. It was just, that's tomorrow's date, you know, and that's and that a name on a list. And that's how it was, you know. It was only as we set off, starting to drive to it that we realized this was a bit of a nuisance and rather inconvenient and here we were stuck in a traffic jam but it didn't mean that we thought this was an amazing gig to play or just meant that we were a bit cross really you know because it was all a bit difficult and we had a gig to play the next night you know it was not uh, this was, you know this was friday night we were saturday night we were somewhere else
0: yes absolutely that was quite a quite the experience i mean do to by then because this was, you know getting towards that that point of the, the sort of i suppose that chapter did was the dynamic of the band still sort of quite harmonious
1: in a, way, in a sort of way yes it was and, it, and that's what surprised me about it looking back and i can't quite get it that's where memory fails in some ways because i keep being surprised uh, the moments of harmony i'm not surprised by the moments when we were all cross with each other and or hurt or whatever i'm not surprised by the bad bits what i am surprised by is these constant reminders of well i saw you at so and so and oh it was so lovely and you were all so in love with each other and it was so wonderful and and you were so happy and 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 then i oh, oh they show me a photograph or they say something and yes, I absolutely was. And, and I think that's what it was like. It was just uneven. You know, it's not, it's not like this type. Yeah, you're right about the outlines of the phases that a band goes through. That, that I'm sure that that was a good summary of it. But nevertheless, within those outlines, in the honeymoon period, there's still some bad days. And in the bad period, there's still some fantastic days. And I, I think the way I see it is that the times that we were on stage together, I don't remember any of those as bad times. I remember every, everything I can remember about being on stage with the string band is something of, of, of happiness, of excitement, of pleasure, even when it was things that I didn't like particularly. I mean, some things I found really boring and, and they just seemed to go on forever. But even that was kind of nice, just sitting there with them, you know?
0: Yes, absolutely. And one thing about the book which is particularly evident which you know I mean I think it's beautifully written even though I've only just got a copy but the photography in it is stunning because often with these books um, and people have kind of been writing them they haven't managed to get very good sort of you know like no one took very good pictures or they were sort of I don't know, just grainy little colour pictures that someone took with a cheap camera. But these are absolutely beautiful photographs, and again, everyone looks so young, innocent, beautiful, and <laughs> smiley, don't they? And and you know, either near transit vans, near in countryside community places, or stone circles, or just, or just kind of, I don't know. You could almost be in a Gucci fashion shoot, couldn't you? Really, let's face it.
1: Well, it didn't look like that then, but it's sort. Of, now I can see what you're saying. I think that's uh, that says more about now than then. I think, but um, no, I think a lot of it. We were actually very happy, and the music was was great. I loved the music, you know. Um, I didn't love all the music, and some I didn't like all the ideas, and there was lots of stuff I didn't like about it, but um, or that I would have was not was not my choice or my taste but I still like to be there with it. And, and I was interested. It was never boring, I mean, apart from boring in the, in a, in the scale of if a, if a song went on for 15 minutes and it was rambling on and very repetitive and um, I thought pretentious, then no, I wasn't entirely happy, particularly if it involved me having Tabla in front of me. But apart from things like that, um, in general, it was not a boring life. No, and well,
0: I, it's it's an ideal, in, you know, education for for everybody. <laughs> I, I would imagine, you know, you you'd kind of recommend it, really, wouldn't you?
1: Oh, absolutely. I as as long as you've got, as long as as long as you you can survive it. I think that's the thing. And who knows whether they can survive it or not till they do it?
0: Well, I know because actually, last I think the last three people I've interviewed in bands all got heroin. Addictions and well, that's the problem.
1: Yes, and, <laughs> that is ended, the up, thing,
0: yeah. ended up sort of living in a van and and going in and out of rehab and prison, really for selling drugs. I so think long. I think
1: it's a. Re- I think from that point of view, that's what I mean. You've got to you. You can never know, but you need to think: Can I do this? You know, and can I come out of it the other side? And although I recognise that none of us came out of it unscathed, in some ways. Well, three of us are still here, so that's good. And possibly yes. four. Well, that that is good,
0: actually. Did um, because obviously, I mean, you do pack an awful lot in, and sort of reading the book, you, you know, like I said, most fans, you know, that that narrative I gave you is is quite good, and you can flesh it out a bit. But you, yeah. but you manage to sort of get. You know Scientology in there as well. I know, I is, which know. Which I think i um, feel your boots. I mean, you're rocking on this one, aren't you? I mean, because most people <laughs> do a bit of Buddhism they sort of flirt with that one.
1: Oh, we did and all so- that as well.
0: Okay. <laughs> 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 oh, we
1: did all of it. Don't you? <laughs> I mean, you listen
0: to it, really. But, yeah, um, listen
1: to the lyrics; if they're all in
0: there. <laughs> <laughs> but Scientology at that stage, I mean, I, I mean, God, I was only four at the time. But I mean, had it become quite, I had no idea about Scientology, apart from my friend's sister became quite involved in it in the 70s and
1: disappeared and they never saw her again, but that was, that's another story. Um, I think it's probably not another story, I think it's probably not that unusual a story.
0: Yeah, I know, they really don't know where she's gone. Um,
1: No. But she
0: did work her way up actually. um, Yeah,
1: I have a friend who who worked her way up and, and she's dead. And she was just the most lovely, lovely, lovely person, and you know, -hmm. and and she, I don't, it wasn't Scientology's, well, who knows, you know, who can we say why someone dies and someone stays alive, Mm. but it was, it was a huge loss. Yeah, so with your, I mean, did you and did
0: your parents ever sort of fear for you during some of these kind I'm of? I'm sure things? they did, but I never spoke to them either, so it wasn't really. They couldn't, they couldn't find you on social media, which is quite good at that. Point. No, that's
1: right. No, no, I, I think it was, it was, yeah, it was hard. I mean, it was hard for them in some ways, I suppose. But then, you know, teenagers have got to leave home, and I was not that close to home anyway. So as far as, as in my mind i'd left home a long time before that so
0: yeah because i know during the sort of mid-70s there was kind of a lot of people like woody woodmancy and mike garson who were both with david bowie they they sort of hit the scientology world quite hard and this must be hundreds of others but what was your kind of experience did it did it kind of resonate with you or kind
1: of give no you- really never from the start and that is absolutely honest and and although i was i've no idea how long i was actually on their books you know um but no i never i never liked it and and i was i went along with it i went along with it partly i was curious at first because um robin and licorice were so taken with it and they really they thought it was wonderful you know it was the best thing and and trouble is that people around us Seemed to think it was a good thing too. I found that disturbing, you know. I found that odd because they, they, well, Joe Boyd for a start, I think he does still remark on the fact it made us so much easier, you know, that we were, we suddenly became much easier to manage and much more, oh, organisable and things like that. And I think that in a way tells the story. Yes, it was a kiss of death for the string band in some ways, you know.
0: Yes, yeah, so how long did that that period last
1: for you, for you say well, yourself? I left it, I mean I left, I uh, can't say really, I can't, I can't be clear how much, well in my, I was never, I was never, I did the Scientology stuff, I can only say I went through, I went through the rituals of it really, but um, that only works if you have a belief in it. And, and I I proved to my own satisfaction at least that it didn't work. You know, I I just felt it, I just knew it didn't work, at least it didn't work for me. Um mm-hmm. and then it then when that beyond that point, uh it was clear to me that it was string band with Scientology or no string band. And so at some point, then you kind of you know, when you you're in a job and you there's lots of things you don't like about it, but you really like the job, you know, you tend to put up with things for longer. Yes. But eventually it becomes intolerable and you say, No, I can't do this anymore and and you don't, you stop.
0: No, well so I can't tr- tell you. Well it is a tricky one because obviously people have to sort of or well, do change and and get into different influences and obviously obviously that's kind of a quite a big one really because it kind of is going to run deep. and, and I've also noticed when friends I mean, not really friends, but people you know, sort of really, you know, go to a weekend workshop, you know, for something and they've, they've just suddenly decided to be very different. And it feels quite forced to begin with. And then you know, years later, they probably drop it, but you stop seeing them because they become quite annoying. But um, it can feel a bit like someone's faking it rather than being quite genuine when when they've sort of bought the weekend workshop to such a degree that even, I don't know, they keep sort of mentioning, oh yes, you must read this, or you must come to the next one if you You just, you do sound a bit brainwashed. Did you ever fear for yourself or other? No. Others?
1: Well, I, I never feared for myself because I just, well, I never, never feared for myself as regards Scientology because I didn't regard it as something that was going to mess with my head, you know. Um, I didn't fear for the others because I felt they were quite capable of looking after themselves, really. Um that was perhaps a bit unjust because I think that's one of the things I feel now that I absolutely didn't feel then. I think that I credited them with far more um I don't know, confidence, far more knowledge, far more awareness than than they ever had, because we were all young, you know, and they were vulnerable and they were all sorts of other things, but they didn't show it, you know. And so I I didn't fear for them either. But now I think perhaps I sh- should have done. But how could I? You know, I was I was a kid like them. You know. Yes. Well, it,
0: everyone was on the sort of the journey and the trip. I mean, the thing what I always realise is that I suppose modern music as we know it, that it was just in its infancy. There wasn't many examples of where things go wrong. You know, a few years later, even, you know, Elvis dies, or a few years later. Only yeah, I suppose you had you know um, the death of Jimi Hendrix and Jim Morrison and Janis uh, Joplin, so that's kind of the first. kind Yeah, but that
1: was after that was, and then we were we were well down the road by the time people were dying. You know, um, yes, I this mean, is true. <laughs> people so were, were always you were
0: you, were you were you were sort of yeah, you were the kind of more pioneer. So I mean, now if people get kind of caught up in that world, you kind of think, well, there's enough. Ex- you know, history t- should be able to tell you enough of what the pitfalls are. But you were there weren't many people to look at. You know. To say oh actually we, should, we shouldn't or should do that because look at what happened to that person that's what i'm trying to say
1: and i don't think they would have anyway i don't think although whether i would i can't really say but i don't think the others would have anyway because they never referred to things outside themselves very much in a way that's that's was possibly the saving grace for me because i never saw myself as you know, a seer and a prophet, I just thought of myself as here I am and having, I'm enjoying it, you know, but they definitely thought that they were spiritual leaders then in a way that I never did, but then Scientology came along and they were, they turned from being the leaders into being the led. and, but then it's the nature of a cult that it gives you what you want, you know, so perhaps they were flattered into it. It's a difficult thing to talk about, you know, because it meant more to them than it did to me. And and I can't speak for their spiritual experience of the time at all.
0: No, no, but I suppose you can sort of see what what effects it has on people. I can see that,
1: definitely. And I didn't think it was, for me, living alongside it all the time and living alongside them all the time, I didn't see it as a gain although other people did say that they you know that they communicated better but i don't see that i don't believe it
0: no i guess sometimes it can feel more like um you know someone being an, in, more of an imposter i suppose you know with...
1: well it may, become, may maybe at the same time maybe just that much more conventional i mean it was something that pressed you into a mold and it's always much easier to deal with people if you know what mold they're in isn't it because then they're pre- they become predictable and and you know what will what what the triggers are and you know what will make them behave in a certain way whereas before that they were anything but predictable um and they were and that was one of their great the great joys of it really
0: yeah i think elbert spear would have had a field day with that mm-hmm. i think that's probably oh
1: god absolutely <laughs> oh really <laughs>
0: Yes. what's it called the cathedral of light those kind of events
1: yeah <laughs> oh, the, oh that yeah oh absolutely the cathedral yes i mean that's there was a poem called that, yeah uh, i cool. know a poem about that yes yeah. i mean do you i mean and he is the one the one to remove the nation in the cathedral uh, of light uh,
0: Hitler I, frame. Say, I mean he's always the most fascinating one of the most fascinating characters because somehow he was there but then somehow Ah, heaven.
1: this is my burning interest of the moment, I've got to say. Well, not exactly only at this moment, but it all came together. There was a, an author, uh, a woman uh, who wrote um, at that time that no one's ever heard of now, apart from more remote German studies occasionally. Um, but she ended up on the list of Hitler's favourite authors. And she did write this poem called... <laughs> cathedral of light and um which she published in 1939 yeah and um and yet she started off but the reason she i I, i've read lots of stuff um but the reason i was i found her curious in the very first place was that she she was one of these sort of circling by inclination not by practice um sort of circle dancing hippie freak you know um she was actually a clergyman's wife but apart from that (laughs) and and with the most eccentric family and the most outlandish beliefs and how how that movement from how do you move from there to being pinned into this um she was never a nazi she never was and she never joined the party or did anything but nevertheless she's identified as a voice of the time a voice of that nazi time and yet where she started off was where we were you know and i find that quite frightening i find that i genuinely find that alarming and i that's why i want to know about it because i need to know i need to know for me not that because i don't want to i don't want my mind to to go down those paths i want to keep free of, of that dreadful progress from, you know, circle dancing on the mountainside to waving a brown flag, you know, behind a, behind a flaming torch, you know. Yes, this is,
0: I know. It it's really only, important. she's probably only two steps away, isn't it? Because there was that it's family. It. I think it that? is. Because there was the family, isn't there? The, the sisters who all sort of um, went and had tea with Hitler. And I can't remember what their surnames were, but um, they're quite, the Mitford sisters? Midford?
1: The Mitfords. Yeah, the Mitfords, yeah. yeah. That was one Yeah, exactly. Family. I mean, I mean th- those eccentric lives got so easily m- melded into that repressive, dreadful, dreadful society and somehow but were not necessarily persuaded, but terrified or persuaded into going along with all the horrors of it, you know?
0: Well, that's right. I mean, it was. I mean, it wasn't that long be- before the, uh, the rise of Nazi Germany that 'Cause we, we were sort of pretty big in colonial colonialism, wasn't it? And I think we I think Britain yes. did we have the first concentration
1: camp? Yes, we did in, in, in South Africa. That's right. We can claim that as but we were but a we weren't. Yeah, we were absolutely. Um but we weren't quite so good at it, you know.
0: No, we don't, we don't want to talk about that, do we? Um. No no, it's not no, no we don't, but you <laughs> it's know, a bit, it's, but, a bit yeah, a, it's well, hm
1: yeah, but we need to we well, we don't need to, but it, well, we it do is, know,
0: we do, to, yeah, it's good to. We sort relaxed.
1: of do need to know, you know, <clears throat> we do need to look at it when we get carried away on maypole dancing, you know.
0: Yes, I know. One, one minute maypole dancing, next minute it's fl- flaming crosses on the mountain. It's just.
1: That's it's right. But <laughs> a flaming cross on the mountain is a really exciting thing, isn't
0: it? It, it is, but it kind of would scare but, me if I but. saw one.
1: But it's the but, isn't it?
0: It is the but about when someone starts you know seeing Jerusalem next yeah. to you um, that's that's the thing and did you I mean, wrong, yeah. just going from Jerusalem to the Woodstock I mean there's there's an amazing photograph in your book of you you know with the incredible string band live at Woodstock I mean you do you do epitomize the the, the absolutely archetypal hippie don't you on that, that yeah, photograph
1: that, yeah. absolutely definitely <laughs> and, and it's true we yeah. lived it that's how I, that was the life you know
0: Yes, and that takes us kind of into the seventies. I mean, did you? When did you sort of feel that the the to quote Jim Morrison, the, the end was kind of getting quite close for the band?
1: I think in that uh, it was the the tour we did of that thing called You. That show we did at the Roundhouse called You, which was effectively a Scientology show, although it was it didn't show that it didn't wasn't very obvious, but it was. And I really, really disliked that. Um, I even disliked really. I can't say I disliked being on the stage with it because I didn't. Because some of the songs were great and all the rest of it, but I didn't. It wasn't an experience I enjoyed. And then we did the um, we did the record of it in sort of under huge pressure. Um, and it was all very hard work, not not fun anymore. And it was. The whole spirit, the whole thing that I'd liked about string band seemed to have gone at that point. Um and it just started to feel kind of all like a lie and and not not me. And that wasn't how I wanted to live.
0: Yeah. I mean, did um because one character from this is licorice. That that
1: yeah.
0: I mean, does that feel quite difficult, sort of thinking about? what happened to yeah
1: her? yeah it feels really and it's changed and that that it continues to change in some ways because I thought I had fixed I thought I'd fixed my ideas of the time you know but no I find that they still change a bit you know like I feel more sorry for Mike and Robin in a way I never felt sorry for them but now I do feel a bit sorry for them I'm sad about the way that those People that when I knew them were so wonderful. I'm sad about the way lives oh, no, I don't know, you know, change um into something that is less glamorous for sure, but probably less I find less appealing, you know. And licorice, I I didn't we were so separate, we were so distant from each other at the time. And and I it didn't I felt kind of quite neutral about the fact that she had kind of disappeared you know and but now i i feel now i sort of miss now i would like to be i would like her to be somewhere i would like to know whether even if i never saw her again i'd like to know that i could and it's just like i know that i could see michael robin i won't i'm sure but i know that i can yeah uh, i could you know that someone some they'll turn up somewhere doing a gig and I could go and sit in the audience and I could look at them and think, oh, so that's that's who he is. Yeah, I remember that's I remember that tone of voice, I remember that movement, I remember that. Yeah. And and then the licorice, no, I can't do that. Because even if she was still alive, and we don't know really, some people say she definitely, definitely is, and absolutely sure, and they know, she's she's certainly not the licorice. I knew even if she's still alive she's dead to that licorice that I knew and so I couldn't see her anymore and I can miss that I suddenly I feel I've almost made a hole in my life you know that, that wasn't there before you know
0: yeah did that happen before writing the book or during writing the book it
1: happened during well it happened after really it happened after I've got to say because when I was writing it she lived in my head so much you know and and she was very real to me all that time. And it was only when it was kind of all finished and suddenly it had all, it's like closing, like the curtain came down again. The curtain came down on a period of life, you know. Yeah. But I know that if I, that I could see the others, but I can't see her. Yeah. And and that, that makes a bit of a little hole in my life.
0: Did you, with your relationship, say, with her, did it change quite a bit within in that time span and have been in the band
1: not much no so it was always it really didn't funnily enough no it was um she was always remote for me and i can't and i don't know any close friends of hers and i haven't spoken to any close friends but i'm sort of almost and i think now i don't even want to because i would rather live with since she's not here and since I can't make that thing a real person anymore I'd rather live with the one I know in my head um but she was just so yeah um she was a bit like a ghost almost I mean she was very unghostly in real life you know but it is this feeling of someone who doesn't quite live on the same ground as you do
0: you know yeah it's quite a—it's quite an emotional thing, isn't it? Really, be, you know, having to sometimes still emotionally juggle that feeling and um
1: yeah, kind of yes, yes, of it happens in all
0: yeah, whereas, yeah. Whereas I suppose with Mike and Robin, it's a bit relatively a lot easier.
1: Yes, in lots of ways it was because uh, yeah, it was it was just because all sorts of different things. But yes, it was easier.
0: Yes, yeah. and then I mean because the book. I mean, it is quite, again, you know, I, I I mean, it's beautifully written. I mean, obviously you've got a PhD, haven't you? So you've, you've, you've no, finished. that's nothing to do with beautifully written.
1: That's just, that's just to do with learning how to play a certain game. Uh, yes, but
0: I have read a few people's books and it is, I think someone's just transcribed their kind of words and it sort of doesn't make for a great reading, if you know what I mean. It's, it's kind no. of, it's better than the most, seriously, it's, it's really beautifully written. Um, but also the photo, I still, I hate to go on about it, but the photographs are stunning, to, you know. and But then how do you pick yourself, you know, to, to get to the, you know, like that chapter, which is an enormous chapter, that obviously 50 years later you can still think, wow, that's still quite an emotional moment. How do you then sort of navigate the next period to sort of feel to have something because if you take something away and there's a void, it's bad. Not it's not bad, but it's difficult. Whereas if you've got another focus in your mind, at least you can get your sort of self-focus and you can feel like something's happening in in the world, even if it's possibly not. But it's better than just sitting there watching daytime television. So how do you, you know, walk away and then and then deal with the next period? You mean no? Well, not now, but, but back in 71, 72. How oh, then? Yeah.
1: Uh, I think I, at the time I didn't think of it as a problem. I just thought of it as moving on to the next thing. I, it didn't seem, it just didn't seem a big deal at the time. I know that sounds ridiculous, but it really didn't. And I think it was part of that once you've set your mind that you're going to live this. Um, serendipitous peripatetic every ever-changing life and you sort of choose to live that life you choose at this moment you know choose this living in this moment thing so then you so tomorrow is going to be a different life and you accept you learn to live with it you learn to accept that that's the nature of touring in a way and if you've been touring for a long time, then of course you've broken down all those barriers of of home and of settledness. They they don't happen anymore. So on that level, it's easier. And I think, although it was not a conscious decision, it really wasn't. It was an emotional decision. But I think now I identify it as like going cold turkey. You know, I, I was it was a life that I was sort of addicted to. I loved it. I really loved it, and and the, the the performing is like an addiction it it's a high that there is no other high i mean other bands must tell you the same you know they must say that that being on the stage is the highest high i ever knew and of course you want it but then if i'd been on heroin of course i would have wanted that and so the cold turkey thing seems to me a very valid comparison so I sort of said, right, that's it. It's all finished. I'm not going to look that way. I'm going to chain myself to the radiator, as it were, you know, not, not literally. But, um, I think that chain yourself to the radiator, that's something I did actually work for a bit in sort of drug thing. And uh, that apparently was the Russian mafia solution to heroin addiction. <laughs> Just, uh, and they were there, you know, you could pay them, you know, to take your son and chain him to a radiator until he got fed up with it you know um and, and stopped there <laughs> but uh then i did that I did emotionally equivalent to that i sort of left left the string band trained myself to a different life <clears throat> and um and never went near a band again for and it was very hard it was i couldn't bear to watch a band on stage i just couldn't do it and i still mm, i can't say i'm happy with it uh I don't feel entirely comfortable, I tend to end up in tears quite often. Uh, so I don't do it. <laughs> but um no, not, not these days. It's a long time since I tried, you know. Um, but it was it was a way of dealing with it and it worked.
0: Yeah, well it's interesting because because there is a you know there is a moment. Often you don't realise there is a moment where it's over and, and you know, and I'd often say to her, Musicians and bands, you know, did you know, you know how did it happen? Did you meet in the pub? Did you go and sit down together, or did you just not turn up? And it was a bit like, well, no one really sort of made the phone call to make any more decisions, and we'd all been fed up. So it didn't, on one level, it wasn't like this big, right? We're going to sit down, and it's that's going right, to be, we're going to announce yeah. it, and it's going to be a really big moment that you'll remember. It's more like, well, we sort of just it just slightly drifted a bit, and then we stopped you know phoning each other Well, for me it
1: was uh, i just didn't turn up (laughs) the next tour starts and oh dear i'm not there
0: yes and did the and did the band realize that that was going to happen or was happening
1: i think you know that's that's where the scientology comes in because i mean i think they i think they realized pretty much that i wasn't i was not behaving like a proper scientologist in any manner of means you know and they realized very well that i wasn't part of it and yeah. of course, if you—it's like any cult—if you're not one of them, you're the enemy, you
0: know. Did you a few years later? Did you see the Stepford Wives film, where you know everyone sort of steps in line, and then you—you you have to, you know—it's one of those feminist classics from the—you know—from the seventies. You know, um, I just wondered if you felt a bit like, because you weren't part of it, it was getting harder and harder being in in their company, knowing definitely there was a pressure. Definitely conform. Did you? I mean, at that stage, did you also feel? I mean, I mean, feminism was obviously, you know, with Jermaine Greer and various people was was stunned to get another wave in the '60s as well. A lot of things were changing with women's lives. Did did it? Did that sort of influence you? And did that also conflict a bit with Scientology? If if it did,
1: completely. Yeah, it totally conflicted with it. But I mean, the, the thing about feminism at the time that also seemed another repressive system because they were also telling me what I said so to think you know and they were also telling me what I had to be outraged about and what I had to do it was yet another organization and I suppose I was just in a very anarchic sort of person you know I was not having any of it I wasn't going to be organized by you know, by Scientology or by feminists or by any anybody. I was going to organise myself, thank you very much, you know, and um and I suppose that's that's how it was, you know. But yes, I was completely aware of the position of women, you know, in in pop music, Scientology, and most other things at the time. You could hardly not be aware of it, you know. It it stopped you doing things. Which
0: is quite amazing. They don't, I wasn't sure, but does does Robin and Mike do they stick with Scientology for the rest of their lives, or did they? they
1: it I don't. I daredn't ask. Um, I, I don't. I don't want to ask. It's not. I daredn't ask. Um, I don't know at the moment, and I, I don't. I don't ask. I mean, there are people I could ask. I'm pretty sure that Mike has not, Has had nothing to do with it for quite a while. I guess that Robin hasn't, but don't really know. Yeah. But I couldn't put. I, I think their involvement with it was long-standing, but I can't tell you how long.
0: No, yeah, you know, it's kind of interesting how these things happen because I know I always love the the kind of the Fleetwood Mac story because there's like several parts of that, isn't there? The Peter Green years, and then there's a bit of the gray area and then the LA. And I know there was various kind of members. Who one member the guitarist went off to get some I don't know paper or something in the morning and. Joined the children of God, I think, and just never appeared again. I think that's when they're having problems keeping hold of their guitarists after Peter Green, and it is—it it does sound at the time quite scary. You know, we—you know—with distance, you can sort of feel a little bit more kind of—I don't know—more cynical about things. Whereas actually, back then, I could imagine, especially with the you know use of sometimes LSD and sort of everyone having these kind of altered states and altered ideas of consciousness. You know, then thrown in Scientology or any form of cult. You know, and there were quite a lot kind of springing up in the sixties and seventies. You know, you always fear if someone is a little bit gullible and just goes, "Yes, I'll go for that," and I've given them all my worldly possessions. They're really nice. Yeah. And you think, "Oh my God, please don't do that."
1: <laughs> yeah, it it, it it was very scary. It was on many levels scary, actually
0: yes i could i could imagine so that yes so just brief Going back to your book i mean which again is 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 a brilliant page turner because it's such a great narrative i mean when when did i might have asked you this actually when did it when did you start sort of thinking right this is it i'm going i'm really going to write this book i just wondered how long it took d- d- well
1: it because i would never written anything of that note, because i'd never been a writer um or or even tried to write anything, or even ever wanted to write anything, uh, it took quite a lot of rewriting and rewriting because obviously you can't write it like you write an academic paper. <laughs> I, I could write an academic paper quite easily, but I had to find a whole new vocabulary almost and a whole new way of writing. So there was an awful lot of writing and rewriting and writing went on, you know. Um, so, but the, the writing the original, actually the the first effort of memory didn't take very long I mean maybe you started it in so sort of something like June and by September I'd got oh, whatever it was 80,000 words or something so the first bit was was quite a few months but then trying to make that work in any way was a whole other thing I mean then you sort of suddenly realise that, you know, you can't, you can't have a chapter that's 20,000 words long, you know? Um, and, uh, <laughs> you know, and that you really have to, that, you know, your paragraphs have got to, you know, got to break up the page, you know, and, and that you can't say, regardless of the so-and-so, I've got this terrible thing of starting sentences with a clause that, that this doesn't go, you know, yes. so all that took ages and ages and ages, and then there was a sort of a whole hassle of trying to work out
0: how you yeah how you how it became a book then you know yeah because well, i suppose it's, it's it's got some interesting process and I, and I was wondering if because you had it in that time frame so you could feel like okay i'm not gonna i can just kind of focus in this period which might just make it slightly easier than trying to tell the whole you know life story from the beginning to almost now so i just wondered if that had helped you know keeping you yeah it was
1: it was much it was very easy from that point of view because you have a start date and an end date and so so you have a start date which is whatever it was you know late 67 or something and then you have an end date which was you know january 71 uh and you've got to get eighty thousand words or a hundred thousand words in the middle so yes. it's quite easy really yes, <laughs> I mean, this is true in, in looking back maybe that's what i should have done maybe i should have so, sort said right so i've got 36 months so that will be so many hundred words per month <laughs> uh, <laughs> no. Oh, no i didn't do that no did you i couldn't I
0: have done I know that I, I know dana gillespie bought her book out um earlier this year and various um, other people have also been bringing and books did you have to get any kind of you know fact checking you know getting the facts or checked or having to sort of ask many people to just kind of go over something just in case you couldn't quite remember parts of the story i asked
1: one person it was my, it was very easy for me because there was one person um and that's adrian Whitaker that wrote the i think it, i'm not sure it's called big lad the incredible string band compendium oh. a long time ago and it was it was also Adrian in a way that he he put on and like it must have been two or three years ago i suppose he it was a long story it's a great story really he's a big sort of fan, and he knows everything about string band for years and years and years and uh he was poking around in some studio or something, and he found these um tapes big tape reels, you know of uh string band stuff you know and he couldn't get them to play Um, and and sort of realize that they looked a bit funny you know it didn't look quite the thing you know and he asked engineers and people he knows all these people um and they found out that they were very early uh sort of video type things you know it was a it was a soundtrack with a with a visual with a video thread to it or something i can't i can't tell you the technicalities
0: yeah.
1: but basically it was he didn't have the machine and that was as far as i've heard that there were two machines in the british arts <coughs> british Arts that would play these things one of which was in a museum so i don't know what arrangements he made there but he got this film thing running and it, what it was i think it was actually hoppy hopkins i don't know if he'd done it or whether i know he, i know he did do it but he videoed um and recorded the performance of this thing called you at the roundhouse you see and and hoppy hopkins did that and whether these were his original tapes or not i can't tell you uh, adrian would tell you for sure but um this was what these these reels of, of tape were and he got some managed to raise some money from somewhere, and he got them uh, all sort of cleaned up and transposed to DVD, and he put on a film show at uh, in Dalston at the cinema, the Rio in Dalston, and he he had had my email address for years. I mean my home address and all that stuff. For, for a long time you know and he sent me an invitation would you like to come again i'm going to show this film you know of you and uh you might like to see it you know would you be willing to come along and i i was very unwilling to go along but i felt i owed him because he'd been you know he'd been nice to me in the past he'd done little things like he'd sort of phoned me or something and said, oh, I've got this journalist bending my ear, if you want to talk to them, that's fine. If you don't, then I won't mention where you are. You know, he'd been helpful yeah. to me. And I thought, oh, it's the least I can do really is go down and watch this film, you know. And so I did. And I was the only one who did, you know, needless to say. But oh, no, because Malcolm, Malcolm Le Mairstre, who joined Stringband, he was there. And uh, we had a chat and, and Adrian showed this film. And it was really exciting. It was really great to see it on a big screen, and um it was fun to and it was mildly embarrassing, you know, but it wasn't so embarrassing. I mean, it was just it was just fun to see it all yes. over again, I thought, and to meet Malcolm and to see other people who'd been around at the time who were you know, were sort of well, had been fans, I suppose. But now, of course, we were all grown up, you know. And they were really nice people. I met so many people. It was such fun chatting to people, and all the rest of it. And, uh, and someone said, oh, you, you know, you really should write, you really should write a memoir. Um, because that was, I was already in that stage of thinking, well, I don't really want just, don't want my life to be just summed up by other people, you know, and, and meeting these people who were just, I liked, you know, and, and got on with, and it was all very present. And I thought, yeah, I'm going to do it. I will do it. I'm going to do it now. And that's why I have this sort of date of June or whenever it was, because it was more or less straight after having seen that film that I got going with it. But because Adrian knows so much about string band and because so there was two reference points, actually. He was one. And he and I gave and as I wrote a chapter, I did ask Adrian to read through and tell me if there was any sort of obvious factual errors. Mm -hmm. And he did pick, pick them up, you know. And I I offered it to Joe. I offered Joe. I sent it to Joe, but I knew he wouldn't read it. But it was the point was he had the chance, you know. Yeah. He had the chance, and Adrian actually put the work in, and picked up any errors. And then there was another chap in Germany, called Wolfgang Rostek, and he also has a really good string band archive. And and he was um, he he wasn't helpful with the actual writing because he can sort of read English, but it's not perfect, but his archive was super helpful in terms of reviews of things, reviews of gigs and, and um, photographs from concerts and all sorts of bits and pieces. So yes, I did run it past a couple of people to yeah. check facts and
0: stuff. Yes, I know it's often one of those things, isn't it? It's not maybe really, you know, there's that cliche about the sixties and all that business, but I think it's just kind of also you. You know, memories kind of even when you think I'm convinced of that, and then someone else yeah. says, "Well, I'm
1: not sure." I mean, oh, absolutely, you know. it happens. It, there's no way, and there's still certain things I remember. Well, in fact, there was one we had a sort of three-way conversation about the Woodstock at one point because I I spoke on the phone to the guy who was our tour manager in the states at that time. I'd written it already, but I I phoned him just to ask, you know, anything. And I sent it to him, I think, Um, and he told me some stuff. And then I think, then I spoke to Joe and Joe told me something quite different. And both of them were adamant, absolutely no doubt about it. Their memories were perfect. They couldn't possibly be wrong. Um, And so the three of them, the three, there's their two memories and mine. Had to kind of reconcile as best I could, really, you know. But then I (laughs) emphasised, I emphasised what I felt at the time, you know. That's the the final recourse was, well, what did I feel? What do I remember of it? So inevitably, that was the weight. But yes, uh, these conflicts of memory are definite.
0: Yeah, that's quite interesting. And obviously, I mean, what must also be quite amazing because this is, you know, art that was made fifty years ago. That when I look at Spotify as you do, you still get 61,000 listens a month for the band. That's, your, That's you great. know, there must be not just these must be your old original fans. These must be, you know, people discovering the band for the first time or sort of dissecting the work. You must feel quite chuffed. That's a bit of an understatement, isn't it? <laughs> that, that what you did all those years ago is, because, um, is so still so well loved.
1: I, I'm, I'm really pleased for Mike and Robin that actually made wrote the music, I'm really pleased that I was part of the life of it um and I'm really proud of certain tracks that I actually managed to play quite well um yes, yes, I'm delighted by it, yes, which is fantastic i mean yeah if you if you were pressed to
0: say what was your sort of this is a terrible question um, no don't it's fun you' <laughs> um, you you're, you're sort of like. So your top two three you know tracks from the band what
1: would they be oh it's easy uh i think um the one i like best from my point of view of me playing on it is flowers of the forest because it's a really great bass line uh the one i like best as a sort of spirit of string band is robin williamson's october song and uh the way the one, the sort of spirit of Mike Heron, I suppose. Oh, I don't know any of those ones like Painting Box or Little Cloud or Hedgehog. Hedgehog, actually, Hedgehog, I kind of like because that was the first thing I ever played on stage, Hedgehog mm. song. But Fantastic. it's very twee, but I kind of like it because I know the backstory and things. Yeah. Nice,
0: nice. I mean, just kind of last thing, I mean, if, if you could have said something to a, a like your sixteen, eighteen year old self starting out, and you thought, oh, there's just a couple of little kind of bullet points I would just just whiz over. They can ignore it if they want to, but I would just say a couple of things. What would they kind of, what would you say?
1: Don't know, try and keep, I suppose, (laughs) it's what Polonius said really in Hamlet, nothing much changes, you know, to thine own self be true, you know, keep yourself keep try and keep that absolute sense sense of self what you are and what you wish to be and the way you see the world and and hang on to it at all costs and don't let anyone tell you that you're stupid or wrong or just you hang on to that and refer back to it and all, all and it will change allow it to change you know there are no fixed decisions here it's important that it does change it's important that you're fluid that you're flexible that you allow yourself to respond to a changing a changing world but keep keep that some sort of of a central crystal of self you know and keep it a clear crystal
0: yes i think and would would your younger self be amazed that that where where you are now would they be kind of like
1: wow yes because i never had any vision of where i would be at any time it was never i never really made those pictures of what i would be at 74 you know you just don't i know it's
0: amazing did you i mean you went to university didn't you yeah did you finish your degree
1: uh (laughs) i started it uh technically i finished it yes but since my final year, I was living mostly in Scotland, uh, it was not really very convincing. <laughs> <laughs> but your, technically. What was your degree in? If That was English literature. Right. English. Do
0: you have the certificate?
1: Possibly. I may well have. Yeah. It's not, was not something I was greatly proud of. I, I was the person that walked into finals and thought... Oh, my God, I don't know a thing. I really didn't. I didn't know a thing. I mean, I think one paper I could do, I did one paper, I think, that was, and, and York was a strange system. York was trying to run, uh, it was trying to run that sort of Oxford and Cambridge system of you don't have any any checks or controls or exams or anything else until the end of your final year. Oh, and yeah. so that was why you could get away with it, really. You could do what you liked for three years, you know, but you, had, you did have to do finals. So yes, I did actually roll up for finals, but one paper I wrote something about that I'd known from A level. Um, and maybe something in between. And then the next one I couldn't even make an attempt at. So I sort of sat there for half an hour. You had to stay for half an hour, I think. And then just walked out and gave up on it really, you know. Yeah.
0: No, and how did you and how did your relationship with the
1: parents develop then after you know? Well, my the- parents. I didn't yeah. have much of a relationship with my parents. <laughs> I really didn't take take much notice of my parents at all after about the age of, well, like fifteen. Really, you know.
0: Yeah. Again, it's
1: I didn't actually leave home, but I didn't really, you know, my head wasn't at home.
0: Actually. Yeah. Well. Yeah. yeah. I just wondered if, if you know, with with the, the passing of time and different things happening, whether that relationship altered much
1: not really no not until no it never never significantly altered not not forever it didn't significantly alter um i never was not that particularly i have no great affinity with i had and still have no great affinity with my mother but mothers and daughters a whole other story and my father i don't know you know it was a difficult person um i i stuck my my father i sort of picked up again towards the end of his life but um no I it was not a close relationship ever so that was made life a lot easier really mm. it was not it was not nor, nor was it uh I will never speak to you again relationship it was just a lapsed relationship really
0: mm-hmm. well look Rose thank you ever so much for giving me the time for this and um like oh, it's said, been my fun it's all good I'm glad but I have to say you know I do you know it's as, as one of the a book written by uh, one of the musicians of a band it is one of the best ones i have read because well, i have you know there's been, there's been quite a few which are just a little bit they haven't they haven't been re-read um, rewritten they are just kind of been transcribed by somebody talking into a microphone down the pub i think and it's just been yeah a, i don't
1: like that i can't i can't be doing with that yeah. Funny enough, you know, it's not oh, my style. Yeah,
0: the, the, there's there's a style which I kind of create like, oh, there was another thing that happened one night that I must just tell you about. And it's like, oh my God. You know, it's like someone, oh, it's horrible. It's just like I've seen quite a few like that. You know, another story when I bumped into David Bowie and it was like, oh no, please don't, you know, it's horrible. Whereas yours is just an amazing, it is an amazing story, which I would imagine will be made into a film one day. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. It's in, it's interesting what's getting picked up as, as films um, now, because um, people, you know, you think, that's the story. There you go. Here we have it. And you yeah. You, it.
1: And if you were breakfast television, you know what question you've got to ask me now, don't you? you think you? Think of yourself being on breakfast television oh. and this.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I can't. I can't. And that. I couldn't
1: answer it, so there's no point in asking because I couldn't answer it. No, I it's just it's quite funny because it, they all every time they do it, don't they? And I, i just, i,
0: I... <laughs> no, I just um, it's just the, it, it just makes you die inside, doesn't it? It's like yeah, die. it does. It really does. Yeah. <laughs> it's like God did. Yeah. I mean, you went to you know they went to university. That's their kind of paid job and paid loads, and you think yeah that is just the worst conversation that is just anyway no, anyway.
1: no well, i couldn't reply if I, if you did so it's no, point. no
0: it's just, uh, i just no it, i
1: really enjoyed talking to you it's been great
0: okay look rose have a lovely day and i hope this year you is too. going uh,
1: even better good yeah good luck on good. the second injection Ah, thank you very much. And you too. And I should now take my dog
0: out. Bye bye. Bye bye. There you go. That is me in conversation with Rose Simpson from the Incredible String Band talking about everything we just listened to. So I don't need to tell you, but uh, she has got this new book out. It is brilliant. Go and check it out. Buy it because frankly, it's just a classic. It is really good. Um, And as I said, apart from the story. Great photographs as well. Very evocative. Anyway, if you want to contact me, you can on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, um, for some random reason. It can be nice. So uh, keep it positive. Otherwise, why did you listen? Um, so, yeah, that's Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, CD6 Show. And also, all these interviews, mostly they 80s indie pop, are archived on Spotify, iTunes, Podbean. Check them out. Anyway, have a great week. Stay safe.